glad you're a child of God. Praise be to God. Amen. I'm sorry. I just came from India. They're a little bit noisier than you are. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Good to be in the house of God. I'm not trying to make you anything but what you are. And uh, we appreciate the church and glad to be home. Glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'd like to say good evening, but uh, that's the time it is still on my body. But uh, by God's grace, uh, we're doing well. And I want to thank you for all of your prayers while we were away, while I was away. And uh, uh, I know you've had good meetings here. And last weekend, a wonderful camp. I've been able to watch most of the services. And uh, I was blessed. And so I'm sure the young people were blessed to be there. And uh, whomever was there, and uh, those of you that were able to watch the services like I was, uh, we thank God for the technology that we can stream, we can download. I had to download, watch some of them on the plane coming home. My 14-hour direct flight turned into a 21-hour straight flight on the way home. And, uh, well, by that time, you're just happy to be going home. And uh, praise the Lord, That's you keep looking for the good side of it. Uh, I must admit, though, that I was hoping for warm weather when I got home, and uh, that didn't materialize, but uh, we're trusting that it will soon turn, and uh, spring is coming, Brother Tom just promised, <laughs> spring is on the way, and so we're glad for that, and uh, good news around, and heard different announcements while I was away, amen, Brother Caleb, sometimes the things that are best are worth waiting for. Amen. God bless you. Glad to hear the good news. And your soon-to-be wife, we thank God for all of his blessings. Amen. So we want to, uh, this morning, uh, speak about um, some things regarding India, but we want to look into the Word, because everything must be Word-based. And for that reason, we come to church not to hear, not to talk about the token, but to apply the token. As Brother Branham used those words. And so let's take our Bibles together and turn to the book of Luke chapter 18. Whenever I'm home from uh, an extended trip, I'm always reflective of what was accomplished and looking back at the different things that happened, the different things that the Lord did how the people responded to the word and other things that that were accomplished. And I always remember a statement that was made by a rabbi that was here many, many years ago. Rabbi Richmond, I think his name was. And, and uh, he made a statement one time. He says, we have a saying uh, that if uh, by what we have done today, Have we brought the coming of the Messiah closer or have we pushed it further away? And that always stuck with me as I often think about the things that we do uh, led by the Lord in the kingdom of God. And I always uh, come back from a trip like that and think, by what was accomplished on this trip, have we brought the catching away closer Or have we pushed it further away? And uh, I trust that we can, each one of us, think in those terms this morning. I want to speak about 
Lord willing, the day of revealing. As we are in the day of revealing. And before we read the scriptures, let's uh, bow our heads together. And if you have a need on your heart, why don't you just hold it before the Lord as He's present here in this service. And He knows He's a very personal God and knows your need, but He wants you to ask. He wants you to hold it before Him. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and so grateful to serve a living God. We are not in a religion of uh, customs and traditions, Lord. We have not come to you as a God of history. But we come to you this morning in the all-sufficient name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to you, Lord, as your children who have been quickened by your word. We enter into your presence and we have sung the songs of Zion as we call them. We have sung your praises. We have lifted up your name. We have extolled your virtues. We have uh, drawn into your presence and we pray, Lord, as you are near to us, your angels are gathered all around that we come now to yield ourselves to you. We don't come by the way of the intellect of man because that would be a failure. The words of man will fail, but your words will never pass away, O oh God. And so as we turn back the pages of your holy book, words that were written for a purpose, Lord, that we might be encouraged in this hour, that we might be quickened by them in this hour. I pray, Father, that as we are gathered together in your name, that you'll just look out over this congregation now. You who are the discerner of every thought and intent of every heart before whom there is no secrets. Lord, you know our needs. You know our burdens, you know the blessings that you have given us, and you know, Lord, the things that you desire to do for each one this morning. Lord, let us not be quiet, as it were, in your presence, just by way of of wondering, but let us be sensitive, Lord, to what the Spirit would speak to the church this morning. Lord, take complete control. If there be captives here this morning, may chains be broken. If there be those that don't know you as your, as their savior, Lord, may you reveal yourself to them. May you save their lost souls and quicken them by your word as it's revealed to us this morning. Let the sick be healed. Lord, let the word go out in power and demonstration that Lord, we would rejoice as we leave this place and say truly our God was visiting us in a mighty way this morning. We give ourselves to you asking your blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18 and we'll begin at verse 1. And he spake this parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. 
Now remember, the parable is about praying and continuous praying. Always to pray. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I want you to notice that statement, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, before you have your seats, we'll just look back in the previous chapter, Luke chapter 17, familiar scripture to us. Verse 29, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. Now we find these two statements. One On the one hand in chapter 18, he says, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And we know that it is revelation that gives faith. But now in chapter 17, he says, Speaking about end time conditions, he says, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So here we find a bit of a paradox. At the same time that the Son of Man is being revealed, we find the question, shall the Son of Man, when he comes, will he find faith? Upon the earth. So while there's a revealing going on, there's a question of even whether there would be faith in the last days. Now that is a tremendous thing that happens just in a short period of time. So will he find revelation or more specifically, will he find a people who value revelation above all else? Brother Adam, in taking up this subject back in 1951, and he refers to it in many places, he says, Jesus never questioned when he came, would he find respects? He never questioned whether he'd find saints. He never questions whether we would find righteousness. But what Jesus questioned, whether he'd find or not, is what I'm trying to uphold. Will I find faith when I come back? Now we know that in the last days that he's promised, and these, and, I, and I'm just saying, I better just preface it with this. I'm actually speaking on a very simple subject, and my title is the day of revealing. But uh, uh, it's as we speak on revelation, it's not a subject that we're unfamiliar with. Amen. But as we are gathered together this morning, we want to zero our thoughts if the Holy Spirit will allow us and to catch the importance of it to us and the value of it within our lives. Because if we misplace value, then we misplace our efforts. We misplace our priorities. We misplace so many things. And, and, and so Jesus, uh, uh, speaking, will I find faith when I come back? But he said in the last scriptures of Malachi, he says, I send you Elijah the prophet and he will turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. 
Is that right? And so there'll be an Elijah ministry in the last days and we have received that. We believe that that is come and gone and the purpose of the message is to take our faith and bring it back to the original faith that was in the church. Amen. And so we realize then the revealing of the son of man is to do something for us in our faith to raise it to a high level. But at the same time, Jesus is questioning. But when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Will there really be a people that will grasp and catch the significance of what I'm doing in the last days in this dark age of Laodicea? He's not looking for sincerity. Though he should find sincerity. He's not looking for doctrinal perfection. He didn't say, when I come, will I find doctrinal perfection? No, he's saying, will I find faith? Faith is like hyssop. a Something that was simple. Moses told the people as they were coming out of Egypt. He says, take hyssop and dip it in the blood. And apply it to the doorpost. And when when God sees the blood, when the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over you. Hyssop was a type of simple faith in the blood. And we've got to have that faith. Now, he's not looking for churches. And say, when I come, will I find churches? He's not looking for teaching. When I come, will I find teaching? No, I, he's looking for faith. There will be churches. There'll be teaching. He's not looking for politics. He's not looking for popularity issues. He doesn't care who our most po- most uh, favorite preacher is. Amen. He's, he's not looking if you're aligned with a certain ministry. He's not looking at whether or not, when I come, will I find people that are attending Cloverdale Bible Way? Or will I find people that are attending this in this church? No, will I find faith? Because I will send what is necessary in the last days to turn the people back to the faith of the fathers. Will they accept what I send? Will they embrace what I send? Will they realize the value of what I have sent them in the last days? I can say he's not even saying he's looking for zeal necessarily or supernatural experiences, but there'll be zeal and there'll be supernatural experiences. He's looking for faith. Not books, not Bibles, faith. Not programs, not missions programs, not effort, faith. That's simple, isn't it? It boils everything down in our lives. Not church attendance. Not if you're going to be on time. Though, if you're, if you've got the zeal of God in you, you'll want to be on time in church. Uh, not looking for someone that, that necessarily escheweth the word, world, but if, but if you've got God in you, you will reject the world. You will push away from it. You will fight against it. Because it's the nature within you. The love of God is to be enemies with the world. But the love of the world is to be enemies with God. But he's looking for that faith. That quickened revelation within the heart of the believer. That they know who their God is. And he has revealed himself to them. We know the scripture. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But turn with me to Romans chapter 10 and let's look at that for a moment. Before we begin to talk about some overseas things 
and then we'll come back to the word. I just realized why it's, is it is it a little quiet in here? No, it's normal. Okay, all right. I just thought you're not used to pulling for it till about an hour from now. Your body says, but Brother Tim, it's still 20 after 10. We haven't even started the service yet. (laughs) Amen. Everybody here? Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry, when you travel, you get used to a certain atmosphere, a certain culture. I told my wife, this is just, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in India, there's one thing you can't get away from. Is noise. It's, you're out in the countryside, there's noise. There's prayers going on, loudspeakers, brother Ed knows what I'm talking about. There's people, there's cars, buses constantly honking, and, and the traffic, and everything, and oh my. You just can't get away from noise. So when you come home and there's some peace and quiet, it's like, you have to settle in, Brother Larry, and just kind of catch it again. Okay, I'm from Canada. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now notice how Paul describes the gospel here. He doesn't describe it as the gospel of correction. He doesn't describe it as the gospel of chastisement. Though there are all those ingredients, he says, but when people hear it's a gospel of peace. It's glad tidings of good things. What we have received are good things. What has been revealed to us is a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. It's the answer to the turmoil within the life. And especially in Laodicea, it's needed more than ever. Because if ever there was an age of nervousness and turmoil, it's this age. But we have a gospel of peace. Praise be to God. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the earth, ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation. I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I have was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them 
that ask not after me. And that's an astounding statement. So it's not in the seeking. He says, I will make myself known to a people though they don't know me. I will reveal myself in places that have never heard of me. I will make myself known unto those that are, 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 are we'll say, afar off, those that are out there, that Israel, uh, that have never heard what I did in Israel. But I, he's basically saying, but I'm God. I know whom I had in my mind before the foundation of the world. And I have for them a message. I have for them a revealing. And I know when my word goes by their way, they shall receive it. And so this message must go out into all of the places of the earth in whom God thought when he wrote this scripture, inspired the apostle Paul to write it to the Romans. He says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. My God will do what he will do. I love the sovereignty of God. I love to see God do things that's beyond our imagination. I love to go places and be astounded by what God has done. It just causes us to lift up our hands and say, praise be to God. That's my God. I know what God did in my life. You know what God did in your life. And when you go other places and you see God transforming individuals and God bringing about things that maybe are unheard of or unexpected, it just causes us to reflect and lift up our hands and say, praise the Lord. I don't know about you, it moves me. I, when I listen to message tapes and I see somebody get their healing, somebody whose life was in a very terrible condition, maybe a blind person or, or maybe somebody that was in a wheelchair that would get healed or, or, or somebody with some other disease that you know their life has been hard, but God comes by their way and reveals himself to them as a healer. Opens their eyes, open their ears, whatever it might be. It just causes tears to run down my face. Oh, you bless that person. Amen. Hallelujah. How wonderful our Lord is. He's a loving God. I'll tell you what I told my wife. I says, well, I don't know what it is about India, specifically Mumbai. I don't know what it is about Mumbai. Every time I go to Mumbai, I get a deeper revelation of God's love. I said, but I can't preach on it at home because... I preach on God's love so much, I'm sure the people are sick of it. You know, but uh, it's like when I was in, in Uganda with the young people, I began to hear little things coming from the young people. Is that the only subject he knows? Because, you know, they had to be in every service. <laughs> and I'd preach this over here, and then I'd go over here, and I'd preach basically the same thing. And it'd be like, doesn't he know anything else? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that's our God. He is love. But it's not human love. And I, I, God took me places this week, this last few weeks that I, I'd never seen before. And, and maybe if the Lord would open it, it's, it's just hard to preach on sometimes. But let's, let's keep on the subject of Revelation. Let's put this slides up, if you would. Speak a little bit about India. We had a purpose in India. We didn't go there just to preach. 
Though it certainly is legitimate to go somewhere just to preach, there's no reason you can't do that. But if I could make, um, if I could express myself clearly in that the value of this message cannot be overestimated. Brother Branham makes a statement, the value of revelation cannot be overestimated. But the revelation that lays within the message that came in this hour, and the life-changing impacts that it has on people and drawing them close to Jesus Christ, and drawing them into a personal relationship, it can never be overestimated, and and uh, uh, I don't want to uh, belabor that point. I think you believe that. But we went there to help the Indian people. We went as as I went as a representative of Bible believers and of the church here, and to help to establish again translation works and the uploading to the message hub and printing. But this cannot be done without people understanding uh, the purpose of the message of the hour. These are not just good books. These are not just good messages. These are what Jesus was talking about when he says, In the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Or Elijah will turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. Or in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, all the mystery of God should be finished. As he has declared to his servants the prophets. And so the ministry that was sent in this day has such an overwhelming value that I I think that many times, at least myself, uh, maybe I could say I don't really give it the value that it should have, but I trust that... I, I'm I'm pointed in the right direction. So we first went to uh, the city of Hyderabad. And the uh, city of Hyderabad is just a small city in India. It's only about 9 million people. And uh, the pastor that sponsored the meetings and also works with us in the Telugu language is Brother Freddie Gray, just a wonderful brother. And uh, here we are in, uh, uh, this isn't his church, but this is a, pl- a facility that they use. And uh, these are all ministers. And uh, so we had a minister's meeting. Brother Freddie told me he was expecting a certain number. And they, they ended up with double that number. So that was good. And that we could share with them, number one, our vision in the Word of God. And number two, our vision for India and what we would desire to to move forward or help them to move forward in India. Because one thing that I'm determined is that this has to be for Indians, by Indians, and funded from within India. And uh, we will, as Bible believers, help them with expertise and and uh, maybe so whatever knowledge we might have and encouragement that we might give from this end. But it has to be them doing it. It has to be them taking up the cause. And so we had two ministers meetings there as we, the day after we landed. And, uh, and so, and then we moved on to the church to regular meetings. But uh, I wanted to bring greetings from one brother. I don't know, Brother Bisco, if you recognize this brother. This is a brother by the name of Aaron Kumar. And I don't know if Brother Bisco knows his name. 
Brother Kumar uh, is a pastor there in India, and this is what he told me. And now, in the early days of Brother Biscoe's ministry in India, he uh, uh, he there, he was arranged some meetings by a man by the name of Daniel Evans, and we don't often hear of that name anymore. But that was one of the names in the very early years. As you search for God's man in a country, you look for someone that God will use. Well, these were meetings that were arranged. Brother Biscoe was there in the meetings. Brother Aaron here told me, he says, I was ordained in those meetings. And he says, I was the only one that was ordained in those meetings by Brother Biscoe. And he says, furthermore, and this is what the other brothers told me, and there in the corner you can actually see Brother Isaac Vasansa Kumar, if I say his name right, from Chennai. But Brother Aaron uh, here actually now has the largest church in India of about 2,000 people. And he said... I want you to send my greetings to Brother Biscoe. And so for that reason, I put the picture up. And he sends his greetings and his love, Brother Biscoe, and appreciates the ministry here. Now, I want to say that that uh, sometimes you don't realize the impact of the services that go out here. And when I say go out, we're ministering to you. But there are people that look in through the window of the Internet into our services here. And when I go into places and, and talk to these brothers, even ministers, and uh, they say, Brother Tim, uh, I just listened to your service on such and such a subject, or I just listened to this, it, it kind of puts me in an awkward position because it's almost like, well, I was hoping on preaching that here. And, and, and now everybody's maybe heard it already. And, uh, but they, they so appreciate the steadfastness of the ministry here, you see. They appreciate the value of of what goes out from here in that it encourages them. It's a gospel of peace and of glad tidings, of good things. And so uh, uh, we always want to keep the value of the message. And I know it's, it's, it is the case of all the brothers here that ministers, especially the leadership of our elders here. And, and uh, we thank God for each and every one of the ministers that keep that in focus. You know, I, when I got to Hyderabad here, I was presented by one of the ministers with this book. And I'll let you, I don't know where you want to view that on the video. But uh, this book is the Telugu translation of the family altar book. And uh, sometimes you don't realize when you do a labor and are inspired to do something, you don't realize how far it goes. And neither do you realize the impact of it. And so the brothers uh, uh, presented me with this, and so I was appreciative. It was unexpected, but I was appreciative of that. Uh, I was talking to a brother, not in India, but from another country, and I'll tell you this story. Uh, And he says, Brother Tim, he says, sometimes you don't realize how much the family altar book is valued by ministers. And uh, I said, no, I don't. And so I said, tell me about it. He said, well, we were in a place one time. It was a remote place. It was a little convention. And they tapped a young brother and said, you know, you're going to preach the next service. And he hadn't brought any notes with him. And so he went off to, to prepare for the next service. And, and the brothers asked him, how did you do? He says, it was okay. He said, I had my family altar book. <laughs> 
He says, and I just found a scripture and a quote that I wanted from the family altar book. And he preached from there. And so sometimes the work he has has unintended consequences. That wasn't what it was intended for. But I'm glad it could inspire a young preacher. And I'm glad it could inspire anybody. So we thank God for that. We thank the Lord that he uses those things and does what he wants to do with them. Amen. This is the Telugu translation team. Brother Freddie Gray is on the left and uh, with his other workers that work in the Telugu language. They've done a wonderful job in setting an example to the people of India. What can be done making the message available in the various languages? They've done, uh, they've uploaded and made available over 200 translations on the message hub. I think it's about 240 or so in that language. They're, they're already up and running on the message hub mobile app. So it's available. Brother Freddie is the one that told me that brother Tim, the brothers come in from the remote tribal areas. They don't have cell coverages. They don't have wifi. They don't have any of those things. He says, but they got a cell phone. And when they come into the city, they connect to somebody's wifi and they download the latest translations on their cell phone and they go back out to the remote areas and they're able to catch up on whatever work has been done in that language praise the lord that's all work that has been sponsored here through bible believers and those that are around the world that have sponsored it there's there's some brothers and i won't mention their name um but uh uh brother randy snow where are you you're here somewhere here he is you know who i'm talking about but the impact of the message hub has gone throughout the world and been a blessing to get the message into people's hands. And you share that with the brother that I'm talking about. It's just a phenomenal impact that God has used that message hub to do. And it only increases. This is their print station. This is where they print their books. This is where they get the message. And this is the, the vision for India. They're in Hyderabad. They have their own little operation where they can set up and print and, and do all the things that they want to do. And that's the purpose of the message hub and getting the message into the hands of the people. Praise the Lord. Now, I should mention when I landed in Hyderabad, I was looking at this equipment because when I landed there, it was about 34 degrees Celsius and uh, quite warm. And, and they managed to keep that. I said, how warm does it get here? Oh, he says up to about 45 degrees. And... Uh, but they managed to keep it running and not let it overheat and, and use it for the kingdom of God. And here we are in the church service that we had there at Brother Freddie's church and a number of people that were present. I think it was seven years ago. I could be wrong with the exact number. But this is the, an example of a vision of the word. I've always told people, and I, I was sharing it with the brothers there, the ministers there. I said, if, if you had a message for your wife and the only way to get it there was to put it in somebody's hands, you would want to make sure that that somebody had the resources to get your message to your wife. And that's the way God operates. He puts the message into our hands and gives us the resources to get it to the bride of Jesus Christ. And Brother Freddie caught that vision many years ago. He, I think it was about seven years ago. I could be wrong. But uh, uh, he had just a handful of people. I was there with Brother brother Noel uh, Johnson. Uh, I got the right name. And uh, he was there also during this uh, time frame. And uh, they with, from Brother Joe Green's church in North Carolina. South Carolina, one of the two. 
And uh, he, they've been working with Brother Freddie and helping them to sponsor the work. And that little church has grown from a handful of people to what you see here. Why? Because they got a burden for the word of the Lord. Amen. So from there we moved on to Mumbai, which was the center of where we wanted to be. Mumbai is, again, just a city of 22 million people. And uh, almost the population of Canada, you know, about more than half of the population of Canada in one city. Of course, that same would be said in China or some of those places. But Mumbai is the financial capital of India. It's, it has a lot of banks and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and so we're... We were, uh, but we were led there by certain circumstances to establish an office for the printing and the translation effort in the country. And what I did is I, I centered my trip around three weekends. So the first weekend I'd be in Hyderabad, the second weekend I would be in Mumbai, and the third weekend in the Punjab. And the, during the weekdays, between the weekends, I would spend uh, working with the brothers in getting the office organized and getting certain issues resolved, the, the red tape and the government regulations and that sort of thing in India from last year to this year has caused quite a delay as you have to jump through certain hoops to make sure that your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. But by the Lord's grace, we've got everything set up to where we want it to be. So here we are in Mumbai sharing the vision with uh, ministers in Mumbai. And you can't really see the ministers. The picture was only taken from this direction. But here we are just sharing with them what the Lord uh, has put on our heart to do. Um, we're there with, in Mumbai with, uh, uh, Brother Freddie and different ones. Now, uh, there, here we are just out of the service with Brother Shindy. Uh, there we had a wonderful meeting with him on the weekend between doing all this work and, and then in the evening time we were out in the countryside in the country of, uh, just a suburb called Virar. And that is where the office will be established there, just in the suburb of Mumbai, in the town called, or the area called, Virar. Now, the Lord needs to do some things for the Indian people to get the message into their hands. And it has to be God. I want to introduce you to a little sister here. Uh, this is... Uh, I want to get her name right. And I don't have her name written down here. This is a sister, so it must not be God's will for me to tell you her name. So this is a little sister there in the Punjab. She's a retired school vice principal. She knows the Marathi language. And she got a burden to translate uh, there. As we were from last, they were there last year and we met her and it's actually her son-in-law that's working with us. And so as she began to get this burden, she began to try and translate. And starting out in translation, as Brother Murphy knows, is not always easy. And so she would maybe do a page a day and, and she would get discouraged and maybe do a, another day, another page. And she began to pray and say, Lord, I pray that you will anoint me to do translation work. And that's exactly what God did. This woman 
did 55 translations in four months. That's a translation every two days. That is nothing short of miraculous. She just got anointed and sat down at her chair and didn't move. And she just began to write. And I asked the brothers, because they, of course, have to proofread all the translations, and they've gone through about a dozen of them. I said, how were the translations? They said they were good translations. And so God anointed this woman. Now, let me just give you an idea. Brother Murphy and I have discussed the issue of translation. For a full-time translator, if they can produce four translations in a month, we consider that full-time work. All right? Four translations in a month. This woman was doing about 13 in a month for four months straight. God just poured out his blessing on her and allowed her whatever understanding, uh, effort, uh, whatever it was, that she just sat there and sat there until she had done 55 translations in four months. I say praise be to God. You hear about healing. You hear about supernatural things. This is a supernatural thing. Amen. Yes, amen. Let's give God praise. This is the this is the language here. As you can see, the character set is not English. It's not Roman characters. But uh, it's in the Marathi language. And so they're in the midst of uh, proofreading those and up, uploading those into the uh, the message hub, the Marathi language being one that needs translations. If one person can do 55 translations in four months under an anointing, pray for translators. Pray for God to do miraculous things. I'll say a little bit more about that in, in just a moment here because of the need that is there in their languages. So here is the Hindi team working. One of the things that we want to do is is work with young men. Young men that are overseas and get teams of young men, the next generation that's coming up. Get them to work together and doing translation and doing the, the typesetting and the uploading and all of those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, here they are working. This is, I think this picture was taken after midnight. And they're working into the wee hours of the morning, working on the Hindi language. And, and that is a, um, the major language in India as it's the national language there. So pray for the translators there. And we move from there. I'll come back to the office in Mumbai in a moment. But we move from there to the Punjab. And uh, the Punjab has the blessed distinction to be on the border of Pakistan. And if you've heard the news lately, there's been a little bit of a kerfuffle between uh, India and Pakistan. Matter of fact, it was happening while I was there just before I went up into the Punjab. And I wondered if the Lord wanted me to go into the Punjab. I know my flesh didn't want me to go into the Punjab. But I wondered if it was the Lord's will. And so um, I, I told my wife on the phone, I said, don't worry, Brother Roshan's house is a long ways from the Pakistan border. But what I didn't tell her was this meeting that you're looking at now is almost on the Pakistan border. And uh, so I thought, well, Lord, if not anything else, we'll have quite a story to tell. But the Lord held back the winds of war. And uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, we were able to have some wonderful services. We had four services in three locations. And 
I'll just say I'm very, very glad that I went because of the encouragement that was received by the people and how they were inspired by the things that were said. It was it was quite a bit cooler up there, 15 degrees, rainy, and even in, during these meetings, rain was on the way, but the Lord held the rain back and not one drop fell until we actually walked out of the service, the second service. We walked out of the service and felt the first raindrops as the rain began to come down. So we were thankful for the Lord, to the Lord for that. And, and down a few houses from there, as India is, they were starting up a wedding and cranking up the music. And I told the people, I said, don't worry about it. I says, it won't bother me because I, I can't understand a word they're saying. I said, but there's a wedding going on over there and there's a wedding going on here. I says, you are being united to the word by the revealing of the hour. And so this wedding is more important than that wedding. And so we were thankful. We had, the Lord gave us a wonderful service. But yet in the midst of, there was about three to four hundred people there. Uh, in the midst of all of it, there's only two people that understood English. So that's, I just wanted to share that with you to let you know the need for translation in that country. And so they have had, uh, they've been working in translation in the Punjabi language for about 20 years. And uh, I did a quick calculation because they've got about a hundred translations. And I said to them, at this rate, if you continue at this rate, it will take you 200 years to get the entire message. Something needs to happen. They need an anointing like that sister got an anointing. They need somebody to catch the vision. And I'll come maybe to that in in just a little while. But if we believe that this, you know, if it's true, and it is true that God sent a prophet. But if all that you have to believe is God sent a prophet, then maybe one book is good enough. But I believe that the message is sent for a greater purpose than just that. I believe it's sent to bring the bride of Jesus Christ into the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sent to, it's a message that is to bring us into bride form that we could have uh, the entire revelation of God himself operating within the bride of Jesus Christ. That's not going to come with just one message book. That's not going to just come with just one thought. Brother Branham, in the way that God sent his ministry, it was a progressive revelation throughout his entire ministry. You have to embrace the message in its entirety. Whether it's the early messages and the things that God was revealing there or the deep revelations that were being made known after the opening of the seals, it's all a part of the message. And it's all for the benefit of the bride of Jesus Christ to come to the revelation of who we are. And we've had it in English for so long. But but as you look at a nation like India, and often when people talk about India, they talk about starving people. They talk about the poverty and, and, and the children that need food and, and all of those kind of things. But let me tell you something. There's God's children that need food. There is a famine in the last days, not for food and water, but for hearing of the word of God. 
And there's a people that are there. And I look at these people. I go, oh, if they could just have the full message of the hour in their language. But they have to catch that burden. And that's that's been my purpose as preaching to them is to help them. Listen, I told the brothers, I, I said, I don't come here as an evangelist. I says, there's lots of good evangelists, but the best evangelists are the people of their own nation. I said, because they understand the people, they understand the culture. You know, when Jesus said, I have needs to go by Samaria, and he got the one woman that converted at the well, then she ran into the city, and the whole city was converted at her testimony. Right? So God will come and quicken one and send that individual and through them bring many more. And that's God's way of operating. I believe the best evangelists are the ones in their own country. And that's all right. If somebody's an evangelist, goes overseas, travels, preaches, that's perfectly all right. But what I'm saying is what they really need is the message of the hour and a vision of what this message will do for them. And and that's really where I labored with them there. So there in India, I wanted to tell you about this brother. Uh, uh, so you, you see there, and uh, to my left, which is your right, the, the short man in the blue suit, both of us getting flowers just before the service, is Brother Roshan Massey. And then to, to his left, or to further to the right on the picture, in the brown jacket, is the pastor, Brother Harminder Singh. Brother Harminder Singh has been in the message for five years. This is his church now. Praise the Lord. God has used him to reach out into that, in that city of Lugiana. He's built a wonderful building. He's a man that has some vision and, uh, he's got a wonderful structure there and, and God is using him mightily there. And I'll tell you what, we had a meeting in this place. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm just bragging on these people because I'm saying they love the word. Just like you love the word. Alright. And we, we preached, Brother Tom, you'd love to preach here. Alright. I'll just tell you right now. Because there were times that I was preaching that even if I shouted into the ear of the translator, he could not hear me. That's how loud that service became. The people just rejoiced in the word. Of course, it doesn't help that all the walls are concrete and everything and the sounds are just bouncing around. But you'd have loved it there. You know, the people were just, they loved the word. And I thought, oh, if they love just this service, what would they do with the message of the hour? Lord, help them to get the message in their language. And so... And then the last place we went to was Brother Roshan's church himself. And Brother Roshan has a great burden. And I've told you about him years ago, how that he he is an English-speaking brother, majored in English so that he would be able to, to interpret this message. And this is his church, and God has blessed him there over the years. I've known him since before he was married. Matter of fact, they they allowed me to look through their marriage album. Saw a lot of pictures of myself there, and I was a lot younger in those days. And... Uh, and so we, we enjoyed being at his wedding. And uh, there they have a center in the church for the uh, dissemination of the message. And they print, they print it themselves. The ministers in the Punjab gather up offerings and they, they uh, bring the money together and they translate a title and they print it into their, into the books. Uh, they think they print two or three thousand at a time at a commercial printer and distribute it to all the churches in the Punjab. And so thereby the message gets out, but they still need more translation. So God bless them for what they are doing. 
So effective April the 1st, we're opening an office in Mumbai. We've, we've located a, a location and, uh, the office will be reopened under the name William Branham Good News Charitable Society. We've, we've, uh, brought a website up and running, wbgns.org. Everybody needs a website now, so we got a website. I want to just say thank you to the technology class of BCA. They are the ones that got this website for us up and running. Uh, I want to just, uh, well, maybe I don't have it here just yet, but I'll, I'll come to the actual website. But here, uh, Brother Gilbert O'Kello, are you here? He's, I think he's the teacher responsible for that class. And we talked to him at the beginning of the year and said, hey, how, how about getting the students to work on a website for the saints in India? And they did. And so if you want to have a look at it, it's wbgns.org. And it's for the people in India. It's in English at this time. But uh, we'll have to do some translation in the future. Now, uh, having said that, I also want to thank Brother Andrew Hoyer. Are you here somewhere? Sorry? Over there. There you are at the back there. Thank you, Brother Andrew. He's filled in the gaps and done a lot of the background extra work that needed to be done and still working on it. God bless you, Brother Andrew. Appreciate the labors and appreciate these brothers. Amen. You know, it's a team effort. Amen. And, uh, you know, I don't know anything about web pages. Not a thing. Brother Michael can tell you that. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, all these different ones that work in these different expertises. God bless them abundantly. And so we, we want to just thank God for them. This is the team that is working together right now. Myself, Brother Freddie, Brother Roshan, and Brother Stanley, who's uh, running the Marathi and the Hindi languages there. So what are we doing? William Branham Good News Society. It's actually the official name is the Good News Charitable Society. They would no longer let us use the name William Branham. And so, uh, but we're still using it on the webpage because that's the basis of it. So we call it the William Branham Good News Charitable Society. And uh, so uh, our number one objective is to sponsor translation. Get the message into the language of the people. And so that's, that's our number one objective. We already have the tools of the message hub. We have brothers here like Brother Darren and others that are working laboriously and I'm always constantly sending requests. Can we tweak it this way? Can we tweak it that way? And you know what? They haven't told me yet that they're tired of my requests. At least they haven't told me. And, uh, but we we're constantly trying to make this message available around the world. And the more that governments close down and the more that borders become closed to religious materials and they are becoming closed, the more important it will be for the people to access this on the web. And so we're working as hard as we can to work in that area. Number two, upload translations, both old and new. There are old translations that were done by the old printing press down in Chennai that were never in computer format. We're locating those. We are now able to scan them and through Google Translate, they have a very good character recognition now and able to uh, work on them, edit them and upload them to the message hub. So the numbers of messages on the message hub in these languages is increasing and that speed will only pick up as the office is opened. And then we're, we're going to, in our office, print on demand from the message hub though, for those who are unable to print for themselves. As I said, Brother Freddie down in, in Hyderabad prints for themselves. Brother Roshan, they print for themselves up in the Punjab. There's other places that are printing for themselves. We want to continue to encourage that. But we, we, want, to, uh, we want to be able to help those in remote areas 
to get the message of the hour into their hands. And that will entail printing for themselves. And all of that will be funded through the believers right there in India. Praise be to God. Isn't it wonderful? I'm not going to take up an offering, that means, at the end of the service. Amen. Thank you, Brother Milko. So there's the webpage that the, the young people from BCA have designed. The William Branham Good News Charitable Society. That's a mouthful. But that's, uh, that's the webpage that people can now go on and order books. And we, we thank all of the brothers that were working together on that. And there is the first book off the first printer for the Good News Charitable Society. Amen. So though the office isn't open, we're already printing books. Amen. So pray for them. That's what's happening in India. If you wonder what I've been doing in India, now you know. By God's grace, God has a bride that he wants to fill with the revelation of himself. And that's what we want to be involved in in these last days. Amen? That's what we're all about because Laodicea is such a place of darkness. Now I want to just go back to the word here. It's it's a place where there is no revelation. In Laodicea, the age you're living in, there's much education. There's much learning that's happening. There's much worldly experience. And, there, and even the Bible says of people that they'll be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so it's a, it's a constant learning process, but yet coming to the revelation of the truth takes something more than just learning. There's been a revealing in the last days, a revealing that God, who is the truth, who is the truth, would make himself known, not to the world, because it's hidden from the eyes of the wise and prudent, and revealed to babes, but he would make himself known to his people. He would make himself known to his elect. He would make himself known to those who were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. To those whose names he wrote on the Lamb's book of life before there even was an earth come into existence. Our names were written there. And he knew he'd be coming for you. Praise the Lord. It's not something, and I know you heard about many of these things because I watched the services from camp. I love the way Brother Aaron presented it. I just love the ministry and, and, and how that he showed us it's God that's doing this work. It's his grace. It's not his grace plus your intelligence. It's not his grace plus your education. It's not his grace plus your goodness or his grace plus your zeal or your efforts. It's his grace alone. And by his grace alone, he has sent his word that will bring you to the revelation of who you are. That was hidden underneath layers of fleshliness. But God would deliver us from our unbelief. He would send the word that would loose us from the unbelieving age that we're living in. He would send a word that would drive back the darkness that would overshadow our lives. Gross darkness that would be upon the face of the earth in the last days. And shine his light so that he could say to a people, rise and shine. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Not as a church, as an individual. 
His glory has come to you as an individual. It's an individual revelation. And, and so in the midst of all the darkness of the world, and it is a dark world, but in the midst of all the darkness, there is a light. And that light is God revealing himself to his bride, his elect. And it's powerful. Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's, it's a powerful, listen, it is a powerful work that is going on. I met Hindus in India who, who, who had been Hindus and, and they, they, uh, they, the Hindus hate conversion of any sort to any kind of religion, but especially Christianity. I've met a young man whom as a Hindu was locked up in his house for three months. And they, the family said, we're not letting you out until you reject that Jesus Christ. And until you come back to your Hindu faith. And he refused. He was locked in his room for three months. And they fed him there basically in prison. But he refused to recant because something had happened in his life. It wasn't a theology. It wasn't a philosophy. It was a supernatural transformation. He could no longer denounce that. Then he could denounce himself. And so they finally, after three months, they gave up. All right, go ahead. Serve this Jesus. And he went on serving God. These are the kind of conversions that are a reality over there. Uh, Brother Harminder, that was from the Sikh religion. And, and how that now, by the revelation of the word of God, God has raised him up as a warrior in this faith. Why is that happening? Because it's a supernatural, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder. It's doing a supernatural work. It's not me doing it. It's not you doing it. It's God doing it. It's the same God today. And I'm telling you these things to encourage you because you also live in a pagan nation. A people that, a nation that wants you to renounce your Jesus. A people that wants you to renounce your faith. But when it's a revelation, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he found a whole lot of righteousness, self-righteousness, which was by the law. He found men that were willing to call themselves worshipers of God. A people that uh, were willing to cleanse the flesh according to the customs and traditions that they had established. But they were totally blind to what God was doing. You see, you cannot give yourself faith. Because it's a revelation. And revelation can only come from God. Brother Branham says, and I think this has been quoted here somewhere recently, but he says the importance of revelation by the Spirit to a true believer can never be overemphasized. It's more important than your food. It's more important than your job. I'm not talking about church. All right? I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about offerings or tithes. I'm not talking about uh, ministries. I'm talking about revelation. God revealing himself to you personally. It's more important than anything else in your life. It's more important than your bank account. 
is more important than your marriage. It's more important than your children. It's more important than anything else. We, we value all of those things. But the greatest thing that we have is the revelation that God has given us. As brother Aaron preached last weekend, he talked about just to have a desire is God given. Even if you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you got a desire for the Holy Ghost, you don't realize the value of that. There's thousands, there's millions. In India, there's hundreds of millions walking down the street that have no desire. But you have a desire. And you ought to just lift your hands and praise God. At least I have a desire. At least there's something moving me for more of God. You couldn't have that unless God gave it to you. Unless God was drawing you. And so he says, revelation means more to you than you perhaps realize. And he goes on and says, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. And he begins to talk about Peter coming down from the mountain. And how, you know, that as Peter, James, and John came down from the mountain. And, and he says, uh, or I'm sorry, before they went up to the mountain in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? In other words, what is the popular opinion of religion? And he says, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say you're this, or Jeremiah, or the other, or, or some prophet, or something like that. And he says, all right, who do you say that I am? And Peter, immediately, from the inside, pipes up and says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you. Blessed art thou. It's an individual revelation. Blessed are you. Not blessed is this age. Blessed are you. For flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has brought this personally to you. Amen. Amen. You got a revelation from God. God gave it to you. Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, He dropped it in your heart. Hallelujah. God spoke to me. God made Himself real to me. God revealed Himself to me. I don't care where Brother Tom goes. I don't care where Brother Bisco goes. I don't care where you all go. God spoke to me. If I'm the last one standing in this church, God spoke to me. Doesn't make no difference what anybody else, because God revealed himself to me personally. When you go home today, when you pray today, when you go home tonight, just remember, go back in your life and say, God, you revealed that to me here. You revealed this in my heart here. Lord, you revealed this back over here. You just rejoice in the God that has dropped revelation in your heart. And just be glad in the God of your salvation. This individual God who has made himself known to you. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And upon this rock, I say you're Peter, which is little stone, but that wasn't what he was saying. He says, but upon this rock, the rock of revelation, I will build my church. Amen. I'll build my church on revelation. I'll add this one by revelation. I'll add that one by revelation. I'll add that one by revelation. I'll add that one by revelation. Amen. Individual revelation. I will build my church upon. He says the church is built on revelation on the thus saith the Lord. Then he says, how did Abel know what to do in order to offer a proper sacrifice to God? He had no Bible. And he had no teaching. I'm sure Adam and Eve weren't exactly talking about what happened in the Garden of Eden as though they were proud of it. But it come to him by revelation. It was a blood sin that required a blood sacrifice. 
And so he, he, by faith, he received the revelation of the blood. Cain didn't get such a revelation, even though he had a commandment. So he couldn't offer the right sacrifice. So think about Cain. Now he went to the right church. But it was not revealed to him. It was shown to him. He could see what God accepted. You and, and people say, oh, people left the message. How can the message be true? Cain left the message. And he saw the accepted sacrifice. And there it was right in front of him what God accepted. And he murdered the one, just like people are trying to murder the message. He murdered the one that that God had vindicated that he was with. He had vindicated the truth. And Cade says, God spoke to him personally. God didn't reveal it to him. But God spoke to him. And so as he spoke to him, Cain, of course, he went and talked with his brother, became angry with his brother, killed his brother. Why? He just couldn't see it. But blessed are your eyes for they see. And blessed are your ears for they hear. The fact that God has opened your eyes. He, he spoke that to the disciples. He, they said, why are you speaking in parables? Because it's not given to these people to understand the mysteries of God. Because the Bible says that their eyes would be shut, that their hearts would be hardened, that their ears would be stilled. He says, that's the kind of people that are all around me, but blessed are your eyes for they see. It's not the fact that the word was being preached, it's the fact that the revelation was being dropped in. Hallelujah. I'm sitting here this morning, I guarantee you not everybody in here is catching what I'm saying. But I pray that if you're not catching it, you're at least going to God and say, Lord, I don't see it. Open my eyes. Open my understanding. Let me see these great things that they're talking about. They seem to be enthused about it. They seem to be excited about it. They seem to be in wonderment about it. I'm not excited about it. But Lord, if there's something there. As a matter of fact, when I was first coming into the message, and uh, it was uh, in the Okanagan there, as we were, as I was beginning to hear some things that I had never heard before. The truth about the sin in the Garden of Eden, serpent seed, and and the Godhead, and water baptism, and different things. And I begin to realize that this is something that is different than the way I had been raised in the Pentecostal church. And so as I, as I was looking at these things, I had one prayer in sincerity of my heart. And it was this, God, if these things are true and right, open the door. But if they're not of you, close the door. Amen. That was all. And here I am. Amen. He heard my prayer. Yes. And he opened the door. Yes. I didn't ask, oh God, let me understand the mysteries. Oh God, let me see everything. Oh God, let me be somebody special. No. If this is you, open the door. That's all just the simplicity of an individual revelation. Lord, if this is you, I want it. If this is you, I need this. If this is what you're doing, I want to be a part of it. But it has to be you, Lord. I don't want it to be me. I'm not trying to be a part of somebody. I'm not trying to be a part of some group. I'm not trying to be a part of some some church. I'm just wanting to be a part of God. Hallelujah. He says, so Cain couldn't offer the right sacrifice. It was a revelation from God that made the difference. And gave Abel eternal life. Now you might take what the pastor says or what the seminary teaches. 
And though it might be taught to you with eloquence, until God reveals to you that Jesus is the Christ, and that is, it is the blood that cleanses you, and that God is your Savior, you will never have eternal life. See, even though those subjects can be preached, and we're preaching them this morning, that Jesus is the Christ. That it's the blood that cleanses us. That God is our Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. But unless it's a revelation, there's no eternal life. He says it is the spiritual revelation that does it. Are you still with me? We're in a busy age. Amen? Very busy. Very, very busy. And there seems to be so much that we need to do. But the number one value is revelation. Then I'll say, I'll ask you this question. How many of you commune with God and seek revelation? I'm not just talking about picking up a message book, picking up your Bible, listening to a message. I'm talking about communing with God. It was interesting. I had this in my thoughts, but Brother Tom prayed it in his prayer before the service. He said, Lord, we just come to commune with you. We don't come to church, at least I trust we don't, to hear an eloquent service. If you did, you probably came to the wrong one. But we come to church because we believe his word that says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. All right? We, we, we get into the, the pressure of the atmosphere as we sit together, right? And we sit in the church and we have to sit there and we go, all right, I want to look like I'm interested. And, you know, I want to look like I'm involved. And I want to look like everybody else looks as we follow the preacher. And we can get into the peer pressure like that. But really we ought to come with an attitude like you prayed, Brother Tom. I just come to commune with God. Amen. Lord, I don't, I don't really care what I look like to anybody else. Right. I don't really care what the person next to me thinks about me. I don't really care what the others in the church are doing. You're dealing with them. You're relating to them however you want to relate to them. But Lord, I've come to meet with you. I, I, want, I don't want to miss the opportunity of this service. To be in your presence. And to hear from you. And to hear you speak to me individually. It might just be one sentence that Brother Tim says. Or one of the other preachers. It might just be one statement. But that will spark something in my life. And it will be something that I'll know you told him to say. Because it speaks to me personally. And it, de- and it deals with my life. And so so we, we when we understand the importance of God revealing himself and that that is God's reality, then we realize that we must come together and whether it's together or whether we spend time alone, whether we spend time in prayer or or in time in the word or whatever we, we do. We're not trying to be better Christians. We're trying to be in communion with God. 
to to have and to enjoy that personal personal relationship it's the only way to truth because even as jesus said to the woman uh that was at the well in john chapter 4 he says woman believe me the hour cometh and uh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, you worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But then he says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers. Hello. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's only one way to get into the truth, and that's by revelation. All right? For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. So it's not just in the spirit, but you've got to worship him in the truth. He is the truth. And the only way you can be in the truth is for him to reveal himself personally to you. And that's the reason you're here. That's the reason you were baptized in his name, because he revealed that to you. That he is your Lord. He is your master. He is your savior. He's your redeemer. He's the one that's watching over you. This woman, you see, was being taken to a place of revelation. She started out in a place of debate. You worship, we worship. Jews, Samaritans. You have ideas, we have ideas. You're taught, we're taught. There was this, this little bit of a conflict going on from her end. But Jesus wasn't interested in proving himself right and her wrong. He was interested in taking her to the place of revelation. He was interested in showing her things the Pharisees could never see. Showing her things the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes could never see. The learned of that day, the righteous ones so-called, could never see. But he knew she could see it. If he could just say the right thing, just get her to that place. And finally she says, I know when the Messiah comes, that he'll show us all things. We know that the Messiah is going to be like this. She's all of a sudden realizing this is a different situation than I thought it was. This is not Jews versus Samaritans. This is not me versus you. This is not your ideas versus my ideas. This is not your theology versus my idea, my theology. Rather, this is now an experience. This is now something supernatural. And then we know, I know, when the Messiah comes, it'll be something just like this. And Jesus said to her, I that speak to you am he. The revelation drops in. And she leaves her water pot. She runs into the city. The revelation had anchored within her heart where there was a predestinated seed to receive the light of the hour. Hallelujah. The situation hadn't changed, but the revelation had changed. The situation hadn't yet changed. See, changing a situation takes time. But changing a revelation just takes a moment. Hallelujah. And it's the revelation that the church is built upon. That great man Job. When I think about him. It's alright if I take my coat off. Amen. Thank you brother Milko. Job. That great man. Needed. Revelation. He had done about all there was to accomplish on the earth. Let that sink in for a moment. 
he had a good family. He had wealth. He had reputation. He had respect. He was successful in every area of his life. He was an upright man, the scripture says. A perfect and upright man. One that feared God, which is the beginning of wisdom. And eschewed evil. So not only was he successful, he did it the right way. And so he was a man that had accomplished much. And all, and I, I was thinking about this, I thought, if it was this age, Job would write a book. Twelve steps to being successful. And how I did it. You know, this is how I ran my business, and this is how I raised my family, and this is how I, I, I became known, and this is how I gained respect, and this is how I did this, and this is how I did that. But he was lacking one thing. A revelation of the resurrection. And all of that would be for naught if the revelation what did not come to him because his, these other things were human inspiration. They were maybe wisdom that had been imparted to him, but there were things beyond his understanding that could only come by revelation. You see, revelation is indeed very, very personal. Extremely personal. You know, when Caleb went to, went to Joshua, he didn't say, give us our mountain. Hello? He said, give me my mountain. I have what God has revealed to me is mine. He said, where I put my footsteps, Moses told me, he says, I could have this mountain. Now I'm coming to you. Now notice though it was a personal revelation. It did not separate Caleb and Joshua. It did not bring division within the church, even though it was a personal revelation. But yet, though it was personally revealed to Caleb, he went to Joshua, whom God had put in that office, and said, now Joshua, I want you to commission me to take my mountain. It's revealed to me. It's God given that it's mine. Now you speak the word and I'm going to possess the mountain. And Joshua says, all right, Caleb, you've been with us. You fought with us. You've helped everybody else. Now, Caleb, go and take your mountain and God bless you. And he went and he took his mountain. Amen. And we know all the details surrounding that. But it was a personal revelation to Caleb himself. One man, not a people, one man said, son, stand still. And moon hang there over Agilon. It's not, it's not preaching a service. And you know what? We ought to together have the power to stop the sun. We ought to together have the power to overcome these enemies no matter what it takes. You know, let's all believe together. Let's all pray together. No, Joshua, seeing the situation of the hour, it struck him. God imparted a revelation to Joshua. Sun, stand still. We need more hours of daylight. Now talk about daylight savings time. <laughs> now there was daylight savings times, an extra 24 hours of daylight. Sun stands still, moon hang there over Angela. Amen. Why? Because God revealed it to an individual. One woman. One woman said, God, I must have a son or die. It means more to me than anything. And I know I've ministered on Hannah and others have ministered on Hannah. But yet in all of that, she had a desire, but she didn't understand her desire because within her, 
God had made the necessary ingredients for the next prophet that was going to lead Israel. And, she, and it was going to be the one that would, that would come forth first out of that womb. And God was saving her for a season. And she had to go through things to get there. And, and uh, maybe I'll get to that sometime if I ever preach on God's love again. And, and she just began to, well, I'll just say it here. She had to get beyond a mother's love. And she had to get into God's love. You say, oh, a mother, there's nothing like a mother's love for her son. And a mother wants the best for her son. And a mother wants her son to be saved. And a mother this and a mother that. Listen, Hannah needed to go beyond that. Until she got to the place. Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Now the revelation had dropped in. And that which, that struck which was supernatural, which would give her what she wanted, but yet in all of it, God had a purpose in that situation. I'll just say this. Been studying on the thought where Brother Branham says, Israel didn't understand God's love. They thought it was like parental love. The love of a mother to a child. You see? It's way beyond that, folks. Hallelujah. It all comes down to our personal relationship with God. Her husband couldn't help her. Nobody could help her. They tried to have children. Nothing had happened. But God was taking her to a specific place. God was taking Job to a specific place. Job, you've been prosperous, but it's not about prosperity. Job, you, you, you've been in many different situations where you're highly respected and regarded, but it's not about that. But it's, it's about a place where our situation on the earth does not matter. As Job began to, to wonder, Brother Bradham goes through it and he says, you know, he looks at, he looks at the trees. He looks at the animals. He looks at the botany life. He says, you know, a tree goes into the ground. It comes back at the scent of water and, and the sunshine and different things. The life comes back in the tree. He says, but if a man goes into the ground, he dies. And that's it. See, and it, What was it? God was dealing with him. God was giving him a yearning for something more. Catch it now. You see, Revelation... Sometimes has to be sought. God has to get you into a place because he wants to make himself known to you in a way greater than he has before. You see, you always were sons of God. Hello, sons of God. You always were the attribute of God. Being born again didn't change your attribute. Being born again didn't change your representation. Being born again changed your condition. And so God brought you into that changed condition, but you always were a son. And even though you always were a son, God wants to take you further in that revelation. He speaks in many places in the scripture about a church coming to a further revelation, coming to a further maturity. He talks about the ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, taking the church till they come into the very stature of a perfect man, until they come into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, until they bring the 
the church to a place where every joint supplieth and edifies itself together in love. That there's something for everybody to contribute. And in other words, it brings the church to the place where they know their place. And they know what part of the body they are. And so Job, he's he's looking at and God's dealing with him in these different situations. And I won't read all of chapter 19. But when you get home, read chapter 19. Because it's in chapter 19 of Job that he's, that he speaks about, oh, that my words were now written and that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. What a revelation God dropped into Job's heart finally. But read the beginning of the chapter. If there ever was a depth of valley that Job was in, it was the verses before that. He was just at the low of the low. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why has all this befallen me? Why are my friends left me? Why is this taking place? Why is that taking place? All of these circumstances of life that I, I, I enjoyed a certain level of living. Now I, I'm debased above all humanity and I'm at the lowest of the low. And God had a purpose in it to take him to the place where he could give him that revelation. He says the same revelation Abraham had, same revelation Isaac had, same revelation Jacob had. I know my Redeemer lives. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in this flesh I shall see God. It was to, and then you follow through the book of Job, and I won't go through all the details. You can read it. Read the book of Job too when you go home. Matter of fact, start in Genesis, go to Revelation. Praise the Lord. It's all good. But there was Job. Oh, God just took him from that place to revelation upon revelation. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you when when I did this? Have you considered this constellation? Have you considered that? Have you What's God doing? He's pouring in now revelation upon revelation. He's given the revelation of the resurrection. And with that revelation now opens a floodgate of revelation. Amen. An abundance that God would pour in upon Job. Why? Because he had prepared him for revelation. Brother Brown says in three kinds of believers. You still with me? I'll try and try and find an exit here somewhere. He says sometimes believers put to the test. Not sometimes. Every time. The trial comes to shake you. To put you to the very bottom. To see where you'll stand. Tested. Tried. Every son that cometh to God. Job went through trials and tests. His children taken. Everything else taken. The church members come accusing him of being a secret sinner. Tried to say everything against him. But yet he wouldn't listen to any of it. He knowed he had met God's requirement. As long as Satan could make him believe his sickness was God doing it. He had Job whipped. But when Job once struck the revelation that it was not God, he was only going through his trials to make him something. It wasn't God doing it, it was Satan doing it. He says, same thing today, he'll try, he'll try to tell you that these trials and things is your God putting punishment on you, it isn't so. Hallelujah somebody. 
You know, when you say hallelujah in India, at least in the Punjab, they go, hallelujah. And then you say it again, and they say it louder. And then you say it again, and the roof shakes. Because hallelujah means praise our God. Hallelujah. I enjoyed it. As a preacher, you enjoy those kind of things. He knowed, but as long as Satan could convince him it was God doing it, he had Job whipped. But when Job once struck the revelation, it was not God. He was only going through his trials to make him something. It wasn't God doing it, it was Satan doing it. Same thing today. He'll try to tell you these trials and things is your God trying to put punishment upon you. It isn't so. It's Satan doing that. God's permitting it to temper you to see if you're tied to this earth by the earth's cares or whether your treasure's in heaven. Amen. Where's your treasure? Heaven. Amen. That's where our treasure is. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there you are also. And then Job tried, but he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And though the skinworms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Hallelujah. Paul was the same way. Every saint was the same way. God takes you through things upon this earth because you're born in sin, but he delivers you from that to bring you to the place that you are in God's thoughts. Oh, Brother Aaron preached on it Sunday morning. I was just starting to listen to that service. To make you realize as the bride of Jesus Christ, you're actually the reflection of himself upon the earth. And he wants you to lift you, to lift you above the understanding of yourself and bring you into his understanding of it. And he can only do that by revelation. And many times he can only drop revelation when once he's prepared you for that revelation. Brother Manum says in Revelation of Jesus Christ, church age book, he says, if revelation is beyond you, look up and seek God for it. That is the only way you are ever going to get it. A revelation has to come from God. Oh, Brother Tim, I'm going through this and I'm going through that. Well, has it been revealed to you yet? Why? No. Well, why don't you lift your head up and look to God for the answer? Lord, I don't understand what you're doing here, but give me a revelation. Lord, drop in what, what this is all about. Or, or even in the good times, don't forget to make time to commune with God. And say, Lord, I don't want to undervalue revelation just because my life is going good at this point. And it looks like everything is pointed in the right direction. Let me continue to walk in the revelation that I need to have in this hour. He says a revelation has to come from God. It never comes by human natural endowments, but by spiritual endowment. He says you can even memorize the scripture. And though that is wonderful, that won't do it. It has to be a revelation from God. No man knows the things of God, save the Spirit of God, and he to whom the Spirit of God reveals them. We need to call on God for revelation more than anything else in the world. We have accepted the Bible. We have accepted the great truths of it. But it is still not real to most people Because the revelation by the Spirit is not there. The Word has not been quickened. 
And reading this, I just felt a little twinge in my heart. Let me take a little segue here. The things of Laodicea are very attractive to young people. They're also attractive to married people and to older people. But there there is coming a day soon where these things will no longer exist. These governments will be no more. These educational institutions will be no more. These economies will be no more. They will all be lying in ashes. But the one thing that will remain is the revelation that God gives you. So the greatest value that there is right now is what God reveals to you personally. He says, if we accept the fact that he, he talks about, he, he quotes the scripture that says, we have become the very righteousness of God in our union with Christ. All right. So I want to just bring a point here. He says, if we accept the fact, and we must, that he literally became sin for us by his substitution for us, then we must also accept the fact that we, by our union with him, have become the very righteousness of God. That is a hard revelation for many people. It's not, you can never figure this out. How Jesus became your sin and you became his righteousness. By your own understanding, theology, study the Greek, study the Hebrew, whatever you want to study, read about it, talk about, read every sermon that's ever written on it, read every theologian, read everything that Brother Branham said about it, and whatever it is, you will never understand it. But once God drops it in your heart by revelation, it's a finished work. I'm standing here spotless, sinless, because of the blood of the Lamb of God. Because the blood was shed that transferred my sin to Him and His righteousness to me. And I stand here righteous before Him, justified as though I never sinned in the first place. Hallelujah. Take that, devil. How do you like them words? It's not what I did. It's not what was back there. He knew all those things when he went to Calvary. And he went to Calvary anyway and said, I take all those sins upon me. And I, the perfect Lamb of God, take the price. And as he hung there on the cross and cried out, it is finished. And I take his word for it. It was finished. And I stand spotless in his sight this morning. Not because of anything I have done, but because of a revelation he dropped in my heart that made that word a full effect in my life. Standing spotless before a God that is the very essence of holiness himself. And because of that, and only because of that, I can commune with him. And because of that, when I pray, it's as though Jesus himself is praying. Oh, that got quiet. That's a hard one to receive, isn't it? But that's exactly what Brother Branham said here. He says, when you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, with that revelation in your life, he says, it's as though Jesus himself, it's deity himself that is praying. He said, and no wonder then, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, it must obey you. 
Not because of your understanding, because of your revelation that God himself has dropped into your heart. Hallelujah. It is revealed. When I was in India, maybe I'll close with this thought. The musicians can come. I think we've gone long enough. I was in India in the Punjab. I said to them, I said to them, I said, who, who understands English? There was two men. One was my interpreter and one of them was, was another brother in the, in the church. Brother Gindo, stand up for me, would you? Come up here. There was one man in the church about this size and he understood English. You understand English. And the people were rejoicing in the word through the interpreter. And I said, you people need the message. I said, that's, that's what you need. You need to get into the word. I said, this isn't a prophet's message. This is your message. This isn't the message for somebody else. If it's revealed to you, this was sent for you personally. And I said, if I were you, I would go to this man and I would take him by the shirt collar. And I would tell him, give me my message. (laughs) That's pretty intense. (laughs) But that's how I did it. I said, I wouldn't take no for an answer. You understand English? Give me my message. You understand what it takes to take it from the words of a prophet so I can understand it? Don't just delay. Give me my message. I must have it because it is my message. Thank you, Brother Joe. And the brother was standing there and the people were catching the revelation and they're like, yeah, it's my message. I must have it. It's not sent just to sit on self. It's not just sent for English people. Come on. It's not just sent for you, but I will say it is sent for you. And as much as they need a desire in that country to say, get this message in my language, I'll say it. You need the same desire that says, I need the revelation that lays within those books. It's not just a book. It's not just a tape. It's not just a service. It's not just a prophet. It's a revelation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you must get the same desperation and message for the message that it's not a message. It's not what the church believes. It's not what the ministry believes. But this is my message. And I must have it at all costs. I must have it. You got to have the same burning desperation that Hannah had. Lord, give me a son. I must have a son year after year until she struck that revelation and knew that he was the power that would lay life within her womb. And God gave her the son because he wanted to use her womb. The same revelation that Job had when he was on the ash heap. The same desperation says there's a purpose in this somewhere. My life isn't just happen chance. I didn't just happen by this way. I didn't just happen to come by this message. I didn't just happen to come by this church. I didn't just happen to receive this. There's a greater purpose here. It's not about my life circumstance. If I got to stay on the ash heap the rest of my life, I don't care. But Lord, give me the revelation that's meant for me individually. Give me my message.
So Brother Branham says in closing, if you leave the word, you have left God. Thus, he is presenting himself to the church at Pergamos and indeed to all churches of all ages. I am the word. If you want deity in your midst, then welcome and receive the word. Don't ever let anyone or anything get between you and that word. This which I am giving you, the word, is a revelation of myself. He says, I am the word. Remember that. And then he uses those, the phrase, Brother John used it on Wednesday night. I wonder if we are sufficiently impressed with the word in our midst. Let's stand together. What else can we sing about my Jesus, my Savior? My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. Sing it to him now.
Brother Branham says the word he has left behind on the printed page is a part of him. And when you accept it by faith into a spirit-filled life, he said that his word was life. He says, there it is. He is spirit and life. He is life. He is spirit. He is life. That is exactly what the word is. That is exactly what Jesus is. He is the word. So when a spirit born, spirit filled man in faith takes that word into his heart and places it upon his lips, why that is the same as deity speaking. Every mountain has to go. Satan cannot stand before that man. Hallelujah. Let God drop that revelation in your heart. If that's not real to you this morning, don't look to me. Look to him. He is the law. He alone is the giver of revelation that can drop that down into your life that you could stand like Job did and get up from the ash heap and say, I don't care if the skin worms destroy this body. I know in my flesh, I shall see God. In other words, I know I shall see the manifestation of his word. And it doesn't matter what promise that he lays on your heart. You can get up off the ash heap and say, I know that my God will fulfill his word. Hallelujah. Do you claim it this morning? Do you believe it this morning? Is it revealed to you this morning? Amen. He's the God that fulfills his word. Shout to the Lord all the I'm glad it's revelation and not eloquence. I'm glad it's revelation and not learning. I'm glad it's revelation and not the sound of a man's voice. But it's the voice within the voice. It's the one behind the speaker. It's the one that wrote the word. Might have been penned by the hands of men. But there was a supernatural inspiration that caused him to write the very essence of God upon a piece of paper. That, Lord, we might have it in this hour and look at it and say, oh, that's such a revelation to me. That's such a reality. My God lives. And though the skin worms destroy this flesh, I know I'll see God. I know my God is in control of all circumstances. I know that he's the one that's a reality. Oh, Father, take and pour out revelation to lives today. Take this subject this morning. I'm not going to diminish it by saying how ill-spoken it was. 
But let me say that it was supernaturally intended and divinely ordered that your people would hear what they have need of this morning. Lord, take it and inspire it to hearts. Maybe something said, maybe something in some way will take somebody. And Lord, take them into realms that they've never seen before. And cause them, Lord, to walk more victoriously than they ever have before. Bless your children, oh God. And Lord, bless Brother Michael as he prepares for the service tonight. Lord, I know he'll be preparing this afternoon. And as he's already labored in your word, we're looking forward to coming back tonight and communing with you. We give ourselves into your hands for your glory and your honor. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Could we sing just one chorus? You were playing it before the service. I was hearing the music. Um, There's just something about that name, Jesus. Let's just sing his name just once before we go. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus.